They're trapped in the desert, in the Sahara Desert. They've been surrounded by Rommel for 40 days and they've run out of food. And uh, the captain comes and makes an announcement to the men. And he says, men, I have some good news for you and some bad news for you. And one of the men says... Oh, wait, you have told me this one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell it to you again? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. Lock the door. Lock the door. They're coming. They're coming. Help. Help. They're coming. They're coming. Listen to me. No, Listen. Help. You're next, please. Please. You're next. We're in danger. Please. Listen to me. Something terrible. Please. You're next. Here they are. Welcome to episode 25 of First Strike, the Invasion podcast, uh, the podcast that looks at the Invasion miniseries or crossover event from uh, 1988, DC Comics. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And uh, today we're doing another twofer, Flash number 22 and Manhunter number uh, 9. It's a linked story. It was a linked story in First Strike. It's now a linked story in Invasion Aftermath. A crossover within a crossover. A team-up. Yeah, it's and a team-up. A sort of Marvel team-up, because these guys don't... Uh, <laughs> they don't like each other. They don't get along. <laughs> uh, but they do have to collaborate. So it is a Marvel... It is. A Marvel-style team-up. It up. is. We'll start with The Flash, and then uh, yeah. I'll take a small break, come back with Manhunter, and finish the story. Bus, why don't we just get into it? Sure. Let's jump. Flash, number 22. Uh, it's called Invaded Lives, Part 2, by writer William Messner Loeb's penciler Greg LaRock, inker Larry Malstead, letterer Steve Haney, colorist Michelle Wolfman, as edited by Barbara Kiesel. So let's look at that cover by uh, LaRock and Malstead. It's, uh, like, like I said, these guys uh, don't get along, and so here we have a prone Flash, Wally West, in pain, with Manhunter, Mark Shaw, hovering above him. The tagline is Manhunted. Yeah, it's a, a nice cover. I don't know. It, they got into a fight and he won. That's basically how it looks. It's interesting that the Flash is losing on mm-hmm. his cover. And as we'll see, Manhunter is sort of losing on his cover. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a fun thing. If you have both of them, uh, it's pretty cool. But they're not linked. It's not like a... No, no. It's not like one image... It's not a diptych. All right, here's a synopsis. You may remember these guys were in Cuba Mm -hmm. uh, in the um, uh, fighting Durlins in the the first two issues. Yeah. And uh, then we they were still in Cuba in Invasion Number Two. So we're back in Cuba. Uh, In this one, Chunk is walking to Havana from the jungle where Wally West left him. (laughs) This is a loose end. Wally himself. In the wake of the liberation of the island from Durlin forces in Invasion Number 2, is on the phone with his mother about sending Mark Shaw Manhunter after him, though his presence did come in handy during the invasion. You know, they just can't afford him, is the problem. Mark then brings Wally to the pier where the escaping Durlin vessel was destroyed and tells him his father, Rudolph West, was the one who sacrificed himself to do so. Wally freaks out! and assaults him before racing off to the hotel, where he refuses to speak to the just-arrived Chunk. Chunk instead visits Sally, the pilot who brought them to Cuba. Uh, she's in the hospital. Later that day, Mark Shaw is paid a visit by two Cuban nationals who want him to kidnap Castro so they can liberate their country from the dictator. He would, but they don't have any money, so he sends them away to get some cash, just as Wally walks in to apologize. That night, seeing as Wally turns 21... 
both heroes attend Castro's flash party, uh, thrown to thank the Flash for his help. It's a costume party where everyone dresses as either the Flash, one of his allies, or one of his foes, or really, one of Barry Allen's. Castro further surprises Wally by flying his mother in. The festive atmosphere is broken when Wally has some words with Manhunter about his gracious host, who Mark Shaw believes to be a tyrant well worth selling out for money. Soon after, a brawl breaks out between two guests, dressed as Captains Cold and Boomerang, which results in stray gunfire and a power outage. This all seems suspicious, so Wally leaves his mother to be comforted by Fidel and puts his uniform on, becoming just one of many flashes in the room to throw Manhunter off his scent so he can investigate. On the grounds outside the presidential mansion, he's attacked by a guerrilla fighter who turns out to be a Durlin. Before he can put two and two together, Manhunter sneaks up behind him and kicks him upside the head. And with the Flash unconscious, Manhunter confronts Castro and Wally's mom out for a walk and sells them out to the Freedom Fighters. He's shocked to hear them talk of taking Mrs. West as a hostage as well, but before he can do anything about it, the Cubans reveal their Durlin shapes and gas him to be continued. Thoughts? Well... It's basically the continuing story of what's going on, which is which is what we expect, right? But I, this is a lot of whiny Wally. Okay. This is a lot of whiny Wally. This is the era you're not so fond of. I, I, not fond of. Yeah, that that'd be the good words there. Um, it's it's just a lot of Barry and mother and daddy issues. Ugh. I don't know. I don't think I would have been a Flash fan if this is where I started reading this, but I am a Flash fan. So I, I do try to look at it with a, the Flash fan point of view. Retroactively try to like yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And this is this is not Wally at his best. I mean, he's he's just angry and incompetent. <laughs> he doesn't know where he's going. He's always thinking about mom, what is mom doing. and, and, and it, Siding it, with Fidel Castro, a, a dictator. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's one thing. You know, he's offering a party, I guess. That's why he's doing it. He doesn't seem into it. I I can't say I like this story. I can't say I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was fun to see Chunk again, even if he was absolutely unnecessary to the story. He, he does really nothing. He makes some things pop out of... Reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing probably in the larger arc where we're seeing uh, Wally mistreat his friends. Yeah. Because Chunk is left in the jungle, walks back. Uh, as soon as he's back, he's ignored again. Yeah. Uh, Wally doesn't give a second thought to Sally, the, the pilot, who I had to check who that was on... Uh, on the DC wiki, because uh, <laughs> her hair is suddenly blonde. So she's yeah, getting, yeah, that's right. She got a bleach job in <laughs> in the hospital. So what is this? Um, oh, okay, it's that character. And then I well, said, well, the, it's the Cuban health system. That's what. Actually, if you're American, you have to be blonde. They do your roots. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then she, and then I thought, well, she, you know, they're developing some sort of relationship between Chunk and Sally. No, Sally never appears again. So Wally's forgetting and. And we'll see in the Manhunter issue, he also sort of forgets about Chunk. What are you doing? What are you doing to your friends? What are you doing as a hero? He's politically naive. Very much so. And now he's 21. I mean, they're saying concretely, this is his 21st birthday. This puts an age on the character. And this is like sort of an age of majority for 
Americans. Yeah. Uh, 21 being when you can start drinking. And so is this the beginning of a young adulthood where he's got to take his responsibilities more seriously? And with his dad, who had re just returned, turned out to be a manhunter and now dead, will this be a trial by fire where Wally starts to become more serious? Um, hopefully, but <laughs> I really don't see... At this point, I really don't see it. Probably it's a, it's a pivotal moment. I, I can't deny that. But right now, he's just this angry kid. It, hopefully things will go better but i i will admit that mark shaw's joke he tells wally that his dad is dead he exploded with yeah. everything and wally wants to kind of see the body yeah and and wally's like no he's not dead i'll find my dad and mark's like well you'll have to look at a bunch of little places and i i thought that was so that's such a bad joke. I was laughing because, you know, I'm not... They're drawn. They're, they, they don't really... They're not real people and Rudolph West is not really dead. Exactly. Because he never lived. So, okay. you know, I, I thought it was kind of funny, but it's not. It's really not funny. And then Wally loses like, it. Well, it's like the worst time to, to throw off Why? some gallows humor. Why would you do that? I, just I, I think Mark Shaw's kind of, uh, you know, socially awkward well uh yeah that would be a nice way of putting it I, i'd say a jackass but yeah sure <laughs> and then mark mark gets pip slapped he just gets slapped in the face like two thousand yeah, th this is uh wally west sort of uh pulling his punch yeah because he's not punching he could have easily battered him and killed him yeah but it's just it's just slapping. a bunch of slaps yeah which feels like you know like a kindergarten fight just really two, does two kids sort of slapping really does <laughs> it was it was so I just find this story so weirdly done or or I don't know I don't well, it's just as weird... in the first part I, I feel like there's a strange appreciation for Fidel Castro from Messner Loeb's that and I guess it's, it's just an Estrander I suppose who did the Manhunter piece although that's not quite as evident I, I don't think Fidel Castro comes off very well in uh, in Manhunter number nine I don't think so uh, but in Flash number 22 it's like Mr. Loeb's is going for giving two sides of the coin yes he's a dictator yes he rules with an iron fist uh, yes the laws are harsh and the people are poor but uh, he's a unifying figure and mm -hmm. it's better than what it used to be which was a place for Americans to come in and you know go on vacation there and yeah. exploit which is what Canadians do <laughs> it is the Cuba of before was sort of uh, subservient to American interests the Cuba of today stands proud I don't know that's the sort of the the arguments that are put forward yeah. and with Wally really very naive or perhaps just well we were allies in this invasion it's a ceasefire of sorts it's not his place i mean the flash or titans or they don't really get involved in politics yeah they don't so it's not it's none of his business whereas manhunter is more of a political uh, character it's just weird I, I just i'm just wondering about mesner Loeb's politics in this and what he's trying to is he educating his readership on looking at the big picture looking at both sides and then you form your own opinion based on those arguments or is he actually pushing some sort of communist agenda i mean it's, <laughs> it feels strange it, it does feel strange but i think we see in the whole cuba thing we kind of see what it could have been as in you know now we have this one dictatorship ruling over all the cubans and that was what's 
supposed to happen if the alliance, the uh, alien alliance, was to win. There could have been some kind of mirroring there, mm. where we could have seen, we could have seen uh, like a little bit more about of the Cuban people, how they live, instead of just hearing political ideals. Especially since the the, the, the patriots yeah. turned out to be Durlins. It's not even a, a revolution in the making. It's a Durlin subgroup trying to you know mess around. It doesn't really tell us anything about the Cuban people. Exactly. They're not Cubans. And it's kind of weird that people who want to dominate would be portraying... Well, it, it... And the parallel might be the Durlins as Cubans, the Dominators as Russians or as Soviets. Yeah, yeah, okay. It, but that's never... That's not, yeah. That's not used. There seems to be an opportunity here to do a nice little portrait of what would happen if the aliens won and this would be it. And, and we don't really see that at all in this comic. And I mean, it's not like it's a, a big team up or uh, we kind of see it when we go to Russia with uh, Firestorm and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, the destruction and, but we don't really get into the human politics of it where you, you could have had some in parallel there, uh, some kind of a story, you know, a little bit like how Planet of the Apes kind of yeah. is a commentary on what's happening now in the world, you know. I, I'm even wondering why it takes place in Cuba at all. Because well, if it, it's not to, to do something with it, why is it there yet? Because no character is actually associated with Cuba. No. So going to Cuba, putting the Durlins in Cuba is... I suppose that it's supposed to be close base to the... We don't want to attack the United States, but it's a close base to attack the United States yeah. later, maybe. In a Cold War type but, thing? Or? Well, I don't know. And if you're going to replace a leader, which was the point of that first chapter mm -hmm. why would you replace a dictator that's uh, an enemy of the western world rather than replace thatcher exactly or whoever was i don't remember when she uh, fell out of power but you know yeah instead of replacing one yeah. of the large the bigger western leaders yeah or, or gorbachev or you yeah, know trying to infiltrate this one of the superpowers or point blank the, the american president why go for that story where the flash could have run much more easily to a number of other areas or countries. Yeah, it could have been anywhere. So Cuba is odd, and that's why I'm thinking these writers had a special interest in talking about the politics of the place. I don't know. But that's that's what we get. Now, I really <laughs> want to talk about the party. Yeah. Okay, yeah. because the party is interesting for uh, as far as uh, Wally's psychology goes, because it's, at this point... A recurring theme that he is compared to Barry Allen. Yeah. Uh, so, or he's always in the shadow of Barry Allen. He has yet to become his own man. Yeah. There, there's a lot of rogues and people he's never faced as part of the costumes. And I like costume parties like this with all sorts of people wearing familiar clothes. Yeah. Because it creates a sort of, I don't know, it's... You're, you're seeing sort of an alternative version of characters, your blonde Superman or yeah. an older Wonder Woman or Black Canary and Aquaman making out. Yeah, that's actually funny. <laughs> I like to look at the, the sort of cameos that, that sort of show up. Or, yeah. Uh, and there are some very weird ones I, I, I have agree. to say. I do agree. So I like the woman dressed as a lightning bolt. First off, I mean, <laughs> she's just dressed as the, the, the insignia. Yeah. So that's a funny looking costume. It looks uh, pretty cool. And would be very difficult to wear. I, I would think so. Just a large lightning bolt. Yeah. There seems to be also the gentleman ghost. Yeah. Somewhere in there, just right there. Yeah. And and a female Captain Boomerang. Yeah. There's some uh, there's some uh, cross uh, gender co cosplay. Yeah. Uh, so that's fun. That's and fun. I mean, it sort of this is 1988. It's 
It's a bit before the cosplay convention yeah, really. uh, explosion. I'm sure it used to happen, but this looks more like, you know, this looks normal to us because we've seen pictures from conventions. <laughs> exactly. One of the weird ones, well, one of the fun ones is that Ambush Bug is seen in the crowd in the background. I did not see him. Uh, not not in the, the main picture of the party, but later on. Uh, we see him in the background of uh, various uh, oh wow panels. The, cre- the creepers in there also. The creeper as well. But Ambushbug is apparently in fan circles. It counts as a real cameo, not a costumed person, as if Ambushbug really was there. Yeah, and he makes a few appearances across Invasion. Yeah, uh, wow. which is fun. There's also the the one that's inexplicable is on page 17. Someone's dressed as Ultra Boy. I was gonna say. Nobody should know who Ultra Boy is. No. He's from no. you know, the future. Except Greg LaRock, who drew the Legion for for a good while. So uh, maybe that's the, the joke here. But of course, it doesn't make any sense uh, in the context of the story. The mysterious one is, I think, maybe Greg LaRock himself. Bottom of page 18. The G-Man. The G-Man. There's this superhero with big sunglasses. Kind of looks like Neil Gaiman or something. <laughs> with a big G on his chest. Now, given the date... Uh, could be Neil Gaiman, but unlikely. Uh, I've seen pictures of Greg LaRock. It could be him. This could be it's a, a self-portrait. It's great. And I must admit, on that same panel, the cosplay of uh, Superman and Starfire, well, they're they're pretty much Superman and it Starfire. It looks like it's them. <laughs> it, lo- very, it looks very much like it's them. The Starfire lady is basically Starfire. Yeah, because that's a lot of body makeup if it's not. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, and she's got... Yeah, no. These two look exactly like the characters, whereas the oh rest of the gosh. party is... Somebody's trying to slap Ambush Bug with the... Oh, yeah. That's a nice little joke. I'll have to put that on the website. <laughs> Ambush Bug gets slapped with a fly squatter uh, in, in shadow in the background. So, obviously, Greg Larog had a lot of fun here putting characters in and um, sliding in some inside jokes that perhaps were caught or not caught by the editor. So that, I, I like this. I like the party. Yeah, yeah, the party's great. But then we have like four pages left, and that's where everything happens. Uh, you know, we get to know about the politics, and we get to know about, you know, Wally's psyche. And, and what I'm wondering is, is it really the place or the time to get into that during a massive crossover? We should be really talking about the invasion or the aftermath, but this is not really... Well, it's kind of... I'm not sure I agree, because the aftermath must include his grief over his father's death, which did happen in the invasion. That's why he's so whiny, if you will. Yeah, I mean, he's got an excuse this time. Yeah, I always feel like a jerk when I call him whiny Wally, but he is whiny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's got that angst. I mean, it is an invasion aftermath in that they think they've won, and so there's a party... And yet, Wally has lost something. He can't really celebrate because he's yeah. lost something. And then the, there are Durlins still left on the island. They, they weren't all killed. or um... That's what we find out in the last three yeah. pages where all of a sudden, oh my God, there are Durlins here. I don't know. I kind of felt, not cheated, but it really felt like I have to now read Manhunter, which I do because I'm doing the show. But if I'm buying this in 88, you know, I'm, I'm doing, oh, well. They're not, forcing me to buy Manhunter. I, I have to. The low-selling Manhunter. Exactly. <laughs> and and that's kind of the part I didn't like. Because we get the Durlins at the end. And that's what we're 
thinking about, you know. I know Wally's all with the grief and everything, but us as readers, we're thinking, okay, well, what, what's going on with the Durlins? Did they win? Why Why do you want to take Castro now? Are they going to grab Castro for real? Is it a revolution? Another revolution? And no, it's just Durlins trying to get off the island. Well, we'll... We'll find that out we'll later. We'll find that out. We don't even find that out here. Uh, so we've got a little bit of fighting, and again, neither hero does very well because no. the Flash gets knocked upside the head. The whole thing between Manhunter and Flash, as far as being foes, rivals, is that Wally's untouchable. So Manhunter is always trying to figure out how to actually touch him. Uh, sneaking up behind him, for example, but we've seen in other parts where he got slapped. Yeah. He tried to land a punch first and, you know, never could. No. So... How can you? So for Manhunter, that's the, the, the big puzzle is how to hit Flash, and we even see when Flash gets attacked by a guerrilla fighter or a Durlin in disguise. To him, he says, I like that uh, expression, he, he says, you're just a warm statue to me. Easily slips out of the, the guy's grip and um, beats him. But then he gets knocked out, and uh, Manhunter doesn't notice the guy's a Durlin, the bad guy's a Durlin, and then he gets gassed, mm-hmm. so he basically lets the, the villain slip away at that point. Yeah. So neither of them do very well. They kind of both suck. Well, it's fine. I mean, they they have a lot on their minds. One of them's broke. The other one's broke and grieving. And his mother's on the island. So. What, what did you think of Mary uh, West in this? I I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be using Manhunter's words. I'm sure his mom is a great lady, but oh my god, I can't. <laughs> I just can't. I do understand why they retconned that lady later on in the TV show and. They made her a great lady who died. Well, that's Barry of, uh, Allen's mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's not Wally West's mom. Oh, man. But I, Wally West's right. mom is in the show as well. She's just, um, you yeah. know, she was a junkie and yeah. raised them on the <laughs> side. I, I, I really don't like her. I just don't like her. I never could have been, I never would have jumped into The Flash if I started reading there. Yeah. Well, I think the dresses she wears are ludicrous with the puffy... Well, Short yeah, sleeves. It's, it's weird. I, I think it looks like that's from a totally other century. Yeah. She's and then, of course, she's overbearing. She meddles. It really does make Wally look like a mama's boy. Yeah. With the meddling mother that's right and, out of a, some sort of sitcom. And she's... She's, she's, she's over the top. She's manipulative. She's hugging Fidel Castro. Ugh. She's, you know, getting comforted by him. I agree. I, 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 I'm I not a fan of this era. It doesn't seem to bother me as much as it does you. Well, but... it's because, you know, I, I love this character. I love Wally West. I love where he went well, where I thought, you know, he started. There's like a two-year span I didn't read before jumping into the, the Mark Wade run. I started off with Wade, where he was, Wally was trying to be the hero he was going to be, right? So he, he was motivated. He was He was trying to be something else. Right now, he's like just whining about... I know it's not whining. I, I mean, I, I get it. But he's trying to fill Barry's shoes when he should be filling Wally's shoes. Nice and, point. And that's why I, I just can't like him right now. Well, maybe he does better in the Manhunter issue. Maybe he does. We'll take a small break, and when we come back, Manhunter number nine. Overheard on the Who's Who podcast, being said by the irredeemable Shag. For me, because you know she's a crazy, hot, raging woman, and now I can't not see that. But 
you want more on her, check out the From Crisis to Crisis podcast. And also, someone for the love of God, start a Will Payton blog, please. Um, just saying. All right. All right, Shag. You don't have to beg. Uh, that could be nice. Anyways, here you go, Shag. Just for you. Monthly. The Starman Adventure Hour. Adventure. Wait a minute. Uh, I like Starman and all, but I don't know if I can talk for an entire hour about Will Payton. Huh. I know. I'll include another great 80s character I love. Mark Shaw, Manhunter. The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Available monthly on iTunes and at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com. Also part of the Headcast Network. Come join the fun. She's seen all the classics. She knows every line. Breakfast Club Pretty and Pink. We're back. We're discussing the second part of the Flash Manhunter team-up. Manhunter number nine. January 1989, uh, the cover date, but it was still was published late 88. This one's called uh, Flashpoint Part 2. Ooh, Flashpoint. I uh, hate that name now. Uh, by writers <laughs> uh, John Estrander and Kim Yale, uh, with layouts by Frank Springer and finishes by Pablo Marcos, letterer Albert de Guzman, colorist Juliana Ferreter, as edited once again by Barbara Kiesel. Uh, the cover is by Doug Rice, who designed the costume, uh, but only penciled the first four issues of that series. Okay. And that's kind of what made it sort of a hit, because he had like that interesting anime-ish yeah. uh, design style. Uh, but then I don't think he was committed to more than the four issues. I think Manhunter was supposed to be a miniseries. Okay. And it just went to series suddenly. But then it basically got all sorts of random pencilers uh, over the, the next issues, and it never really... Blossomed. Yeah. I mean, I think it was hampered by a lack of a strong artist, you know, for any length of time. Anyway, let's look at that cover. Uh, like we said earlier here, The Flash and Manhunter are fighting once again, mm -hmm. but they're both awake. And The Flash sort of zigzags and throws Manhunter into the air. So Manhunter's losing. He's lost... His baton. Otherwise, it's just a white background, no backgrounds. Again, that designy, very striking, perhaps anime look. Yeah, yeah, I, I like this cover better because of that anime look, the speed lines, and he has a scarf. I mean, I, <laughs> I like Manhunter, but he has this weird scarf. But the scarf well, he doesn't want to get laryngitis. I, <laughs> I guess, I guess he doesn't want to crick in the neck, but. He, he, Usually I don't like the scarf, but here the scarf kind of feels right because it balances off how Manhunter is in the air. And you kind of feel that designy look to it. it I, I yeah. really like this cover. I, I think the suit only looks really great under Doug Rice. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and everybody else is sort of, eh. So it, it's kind of a George Perez effect where only yeah. George Perez can draw the uniforms he's designed. Yeah. Uh, and they look awful by anyone else and are objectively awful. Uh, <laughs> they only somehow look good under George Perez. It's kind of that same idea. Yeah, I get it. Even the baton looks better. <laughs> In this picture, the baton looks badass, where it looks usually like a stick. One point before we get into the synopsis, one point I want to make is that I find the title scheme a little weird. Really? Not because it's Flashpoint, although... Yeah, it's yeah. not the first. I mean, there are a number of stories called Flashpoint, not just the execrable one. Um, Hopefully, they'll stop with the Flashpoint. Enough of the that Flashpoint. title has got to be retired. Well, I think now it's you can't use that word again. Hopefully, uh, but it was used at least three times. You, you, that you'd I know be of. surprised. 
My problem is, why, why, why was Flash number 21 Invaded Lives Part 1, and Flash number 22 Invaded Lives Part 2, and then Manhunter number 8 was called Flashpoint Part 1, and this one's called Flashpoint Part 2, when really, the way the issues are consecutive, it should have been Invaded Lives, Flash, Invaded Lives, Manhunter. Flashpoint, Flash, Flashpoint, Manhunter. It's yeah. just like the... It's like part one, part one, part two, part two. Isn't it like part one, part two, part three, part four? Yeah, really. So Actually, yeah, that was very perceptive of you. I I didn't think about that, but yeah, and bugged the hell out of me. Oh, really? <laughs> and you mention it now? This could have been said earlier. I didn't realize. Anyway, in this one, Manhunter hates islands. He hates. That's it. the big takeaway. Yeah. They're a lot harder to leave, especially when no one is footing the bill. That's what he tells himself as he gets up from the Durlin gassing. He was only playing possum, saved by his mask's filter. Wally West, the Flash, is waking up from his knock on the head, so Manhunter keeps him out of trouble by knocking him unconscious again. He tracks the Durlin party holding Castro and Mary West prisoner. It seems they were cut off from their unit and don't know the alien alliance is in retreat. Told they've lost and that the Flash will soon be upon them, one Durlin shapeshifts into a likeness of Wally's mother to confuse the hero and get in close to kill him. Another takes Castro's place, while the rest become guerrilla fighters again. A firing squad assembles to kill the two humans. Manhunter intervenes, defeating the aliens and running off with their hostages. The Durlins catch up to them, however, and surround them, but Wally, who a few minutes earlier had awakened, runs on the scene and takes all of their weapons. His mother rushes up to him, but the other Mary West says she's the Durlin. While Wally distances himself from both, a Durlin takes the shape of Wally's father and tries to seed Discord by saying he was never dead and Manhunter is a lying Durlin. Markshaw sees only one way out. Really? Only one way? <laughs> Take out the Flash before he believes the alien lies. A strobe light and judo throw later, Manhunter is free to fight the Durlins, but the Flash quickly returns to stop him, so Mark stops dead in his tracks and sits down. He refuses to fight and confronts Wally with the truth, that he is too distraught about his father's death to think clearly. Wally knocks everyone down at super speed and makes the freedom fighters take back their Durlin shapes, which only leaves the fake Mary and Castro. Manhunter spots them with his infrared vision and forces them into their real forms too. Castro wants to arrest Manhunter for kidnapping. Well, of course. Which carries a <laughs> sentence of death he's ready to carry out now. But the Wests intercede on his behalf. Rather than argue with Mary West... Castro leaves. Similarly, Mark Shaw accepts her contention that, that having his life saved should count as payment for services rendered. While he throws him a meager bone, maybe the wealthy chunk would like a way off the island too, and maybe Manhunter could take care of it. Before the West leave via Guantanamo Bay, however, the gene bomb explodes in the sky, as it will usually do. This is part two. Was it any better for you? Um, a little bit, but there's a lot of, there are a lot of weird things that Actually, the questions I had were asked in the comic and got basically a ugh answer from myself, you know, because okay. like the drillers are trying to get off Cuba, but they can fly and they can swim, right? Castro even asks them, well, why can't you just turn into fish and swim? And the, the answer, what are these fish you talk of? As if they've never seen water, you know, as if they have no aquatic form. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You have no aquatic form? You're shitting me, right? You can't become some sort of alien snake who swims? Oh, I, and these things. I, I've been all through that. I, I don't know if I'm just in that kind of a mood. But <laughs> throughout these issues, I've been, I've, I've been really saying, like, really? 
Really? And in this one, same thing. Although I, I did really like that in Manhunter 9, they do a little synopsis of what happened in Flash 22. Right. But it's really from Mark's uh, Mark Shaw's point of view. He says, well, Wally just overreacted and... He didn't really overreact. You, you did a bad joke and you were a jerk about it, so you got slapped. But, you know, so it, it was that I kind of enjoyed. And uh, I'll. Although Mark Shaw did not remember it was a costume party. Yeah. The well, party just looks normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the black tie. Exactly. I did kind of enjoy. Well, you know, I didn't enjoy actually how the Durlins didn't know they lost, even though it was. I thought it was clear they lost. In the earlier issues? They lost the, the whole replace Fidel Castro thing. Yeah. And then there's Invasion Number 2, in which the Durlins retreat and their ship gets blown up yeah. by Rudolph West. So these guys have lost contact with the main force. Yeah. And they're, they're trying to rejoin the main force. They don't know the main force has been destroyed. Well, who does communications for the Durlins? You can, you can s- warp into space and come to Earth. But you can't communicate. You don't have a radio. Where's your phone? Where's your radio? Are you kidding me once again? I I just didn't buy most of the things that were said in this. And you you know my feelings about naked aliens. I can't deal with naked aliens because if aliens are smart enough, well, they wear to have, shorts and bras. Well, that's because you can't be naked. And and why 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 would you? They all blame this one female. And and I'm doing the quotation marks. This one female, they all blame her, and she's wearing a bikini, and I don't know how they, why she would have taken... I, I just don't understand what's going on and why they're making the decisions that they are making. These Durlins, I mean, they could take any shape. They take the chameleon boy shape. That's fine. I can deal with that. That's their, like, basic humanoid shape, I'm thinking. Yeah. Some of the time, they're, like, draped in some kind of hooded cloak... And they have, like, tentacles coming out of their faces. Hey, I can deal with that. The Durlins look different. They're shapeshifters. I deal with it. But why would they even want to specify sex? I just don't get it. And why would you dress it up? <laughs> I, while I'm reading this, I'm going, why, why, why is this? And why are all these guys blaming this one lady who has, in one panel, a bikini and another one, something else? And I, I just... I'm just wondering who thought this out. Yeah, because it's actually their argument with her is pretty dumb. It is. Uh, it's because stupid. it's about, this is all your fault, Sasitha. Sasitha. Mine? Go on an adventure, you said. Let's sign up. It'll be fun. Earth's just this backwater little planet, you said. We'll live like kings. It's like these guys joined the, uh, the army, the alliance. For fun? Because it'd be an adventure, and then it's like this weird... Are they a couple or just friends? I don't and it's like, it becomes a couple's argument. It is. About a bad vacation. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so It's ridiculous. Uh, it's and not very, it doesn't feel very serious. Another thing. Why would this one Durlin says, oh no, we'll have to stay on the earth forever. We'll have to continue having this human form. They're, one, they're not in human form. They have this... Uh, chameleon boy form and that's not the true Durlin form they seem seemingly have I don't know they've forgotten what they were supposed to look like so they look like all sorts of yeah, things yeah just like tentacles in a cloak why wouldn't they just use their normal form yeah who cares who cares I don't get it I just don't get it I, <laughs> all through this book I was going you shitting me what 
Really? No, you're right. There's a lot of, um, I don't know, it's, because I had, in my notes, I had a lot of discrepancies marked down, or yeah. things that plot holes, uh, or just didn't make sense. So, like, when uh, Manhunter decides that, there, well, there's no other way than to fight the Flash... Uh, because he's not listening. <laughs> really? The only people talking are Durlins. <laughs> he is listening. You have not said one thing, Mark Shaw. So he's not listening because you're not talking. And then you go for, not for the first time, you go for like a, the violent option. And then he decides not to be violent, just like sit down in Lotus position to confront Wally with Wally's violence. But really, Mark Shaw started it. So yeah. that's kind of... You know, odd. And then there's the whole thing where he detects the Durlins and he shoots the right Mary and Fidel. Fine. And then Flash is all like, "Why didn't you do that before?" I said, "Well, I've got to put the, the I've got to slide the infrared lenses in, so I've got to put the things in the things, and I didn't. And okay, yeah. and I hadn't because I thought they were all human. You knew they weren't all human. There was like two of each. So that argument, that excuse doesn't work with either the artwork or the story it's like this was a rush job this was a rush maybe, this was honed in or... maybe the flash chapter came in kind of late maybe and they had to like scramble both on the writing and the art to, yeah. to complete the story because there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of eh. you know and, and there's this one page where the baton just disappears really there's this one page where the baton uh disappears where is it <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, yeah, it, it disappears because Flash feels... Oh, no, 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 that's not oh, the place. Okay. Flippy, flippy, flip. This one. He shoots somebody with the baton. Yeah, but the baton is not drawn in. That is bizarre. I'll put that on the website. <laughs> I hadn't noticed, but it's true. He's holding he's an hol- invisible baton. Yep. And the baton is having an effect. And in one panel, he's jumping on people. Then he's hitting him with baton blast blasts or whatever. Sorry. Then blast this one guy while kicking another... No baton in sight. Because, again, the art. When, whenever you get, like, breakdowns and finishes, you got to say, well, it's, that's not full pencils mm-hmm. and then inks. It's, like, uh, a very rough penciling job, uh, and then somebody has to come in and, and finish it. I kind of like the finishes in many of the panels, especially oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, where Manhunter is concerned. It's got, like, uh, I don't know, the line reminds me of Ty Templeton, who I really like. Honestly, the artwork, if it's a rushed job, oh, my God. It's great for a rushed job, but... oh Well, I think the, the finishes are good, and here we see it. there is a part where uh, that, that scarf is a liability. He has yeah. to cut it off because uh, the Flash is choking him with it. <laughs> but I think as far as the, the layouts go, the action isn't always clear. No, it's not. So it's, you know, what is happening in this part? And, you know, it's kind of... Or either it's silly... It jumps a lot. And then you, you're not too sure what's happening. Small things, like Manhunter blasts the fake... Mary and Fidel. The Fidel is thrown back. I mean, he's knocked back a ways. He's supposed to be lying prone on the ground, but the next panel, both the Durlins are standing. That and, I don't know, uh, in in the top panel of that page, Mm -hmm. there's a blue... A blue Fidel, red Fidel. Yeah, exactly. Mary, red Mary. Which one is which? I don't know, because he apparently shoots red Mary and... They're not even in the same yeah, positions. That's right. When he shoots on them, the page. it's like two Marys and two Fidels. There's no correlation between what he sees and what the next panel shows as far exactly. as their positions go. That's what I mean. The yeah, uh, the breakdowns. Yeah. So there's just a lot of that going on. And so that makes me believe that the crossover, and that's something that happens in crossovers. You get to work with yeah. so many editors and other creative teams that this was sort of a rush job. Uh, one of the discrepancies is actually... A correction 
uh, because William Messner Loeb's in the Flash issue calls Fidel Castro uh, president. Oh yeah, yeah. And Manhunter calls him premier. And yeah. That is, he's a prime minister. He's is prime what minister. he actually is. Yeah. Uh, despite having a vice president, I think that's that's. that's <laughs> it's weird. Cuban. Yeah. Eventually, this is a lot of needless fighting. Mark obviously underestimates Wally and gives him a concussion after concussion yeah. just to keep him out of the action because he doesn't trust him. These guys could and should have come together as more of a unit, yeah. especially after the action of invasion where they did work together. It would have been something nice after the uh, the Manhunters thing. There was another crossover with the Manhunters earlier, right? Mm-hmm. It would have been a nice opportunity to kind of redeem the Manhunter name if they had worked together. Especially since Wally had so much you know, um, animosity towards the Manhunters yeah. since Millennium. Exactly. So it would have been a nice way to bring them together. There seems to be a lot of missed opportunities for for doing bigger picture things Mm -hmm. and that's kind of sad but i mean there's a lot of action and there's fighting and there's durlins who all of a sudden can fly with machine guns but can't get to i don't know miami i don't know mary west comes off pretty well in this one yeah i like the uh, the battle axe element where she's such a hard ass that everybody just follows her lead el castro even fidel (laughs) fidel castro goes well this isn't worth it (laughs) I will not win I, this one. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it's a comedy moment that yeah. actually does work. It, yeah, actually, yeah, it does. She feels like one of those characters that should be in a romance comic. She should be like the old battle axe telling the young lady to be proper. But in this one, she's... Well, in everyone, in every comic where she is, uh, she's always telling basically Wally to be proper or telling him how to live. And it's very... Romance comic-y uh, in some aspects. I don't yeah. know. She feels like an old gothic type uh, romance comic lady. Amanda Waller is who she made me uh, think of. Sort of thing. Well, you know, just like a normal person that just has such a strong will yeah. that people are immediately cowed by her. Like she, she rolls... Yeah, but... She rolls yeah. high numbers on, on whatever, <laughs> persuasion or intimidation. <laughs> but people just... Well, it kind of do feels what like, she wants. Kind of feels like annoyance, actually. Yeah, she's so annoying. She's so she's just so feels like a nag. Where Amanda Waller feels like somebody who will rip your arms out and feed them to you. <laughs> uh, she feels like a nag, though. Which, yeah, which is which is fine. It's still it's that's her the result. That's her superpower. Exact super naggy lady. Yeah, <laughs> with the horrible dresses. Not the. Uh... Supporting character find of the eighties. <laughs> I agree. No, but yeah. uh, in here it's actually she just resolves yeah. a number of problems, some of which she created. But but still, she resolves them. And she's the one that you know she has a big mouth, and she's the one that actually creates the problem where uh, she tells the Durlins what's what, yeah, and that infuriates them and makes them more violent. But then you know they were gonna find out some other way. So she's not afraid of them at all. At all. There's something cool about that. Yeah, I think there's something there's something about that oh, she, superhero mom. You know what? She kind of, she kind of feels like Wally late cuz cuz Wally has a mouth on him, right? He's the wisecracking guy and it, you kind of see that in the mom, but she's so I don't know, kind of bitter or it, it doesn't come off as funny. But when Wally does it, it's funny cuz he's doing it with a smile and you know, he's just wisecracking and Actually, it's something I, well, I just, I think right now in this moment, I think that's something they have in common. He's a lot more like his mom that, than I'd like to admit, I think. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this is the story. Okay. It's Mary West. Okay. Martha Kent. 
Okay. Undead Martha Wayne <laughs> and Hippolyta. <laughs> on a road trip? Uh, on a road trip. <laughs> They're going to Vegas. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That has to happen. Get somebody great on that. I, I'd write it. I'd get like Mike Allred or something to, okay. to draw it. All right. Any last thoughts on uh, this this whole this mini crossover within the crossover? Well, uh, the two parter is uh, is fine. We only have one black and white flash of the gene bomb at mm-hmm. the end. Every issue always ended with this one flash. Once again, it, there's just a lot of potential in this story or this mini crossover within the crossover that just they didn't go there, and I'm kind of sad. But then again, I just invented where I'd like for them to go. Yeah. So, I we mean, can only judge the story, not what we ex- would have written instead. Exactly. I'm still not going to buy any Manhunter stories. I, you know, I get him, but I'm not interested. I think maybe the first four issues are maybe. interesting. Maybe. But uh, I bought it out of, you know, I was buying everything. Well, you know what? <laughs> you know what, though? Uh, I, I can see why this or Manhunter would have been a great miniseries because, you know, the Manhunters were known as bad guys. And all of a sudden, there's this superhero who's called a Manhunter, and, and that's great. And you kind of want to see why and how this happened. So I get the miniseries. I just think it just probably didn't have the, the fuel to go further than that. It sort of became almost adjunct to Ostrander's other political thrillers, like okay. Suicide Squad. So yeah. It's like kind of a Suicide Squad-adjacent which is probably why I bought it all the way through. It probably, probably, he probably would have been a great character within that type of a team. He was. Um, he actually it was in the Millennium issue. He okay. he's part of the squad. Yeah. He gets sprung out of prison. So you see by that... working with the squad. The same issue where uh, Slipknot loses his arm. Oh, he he lost his arm. Oh, poor Slipknot. <laughs> you can't tie knots anymore without the yeah, arm. One finger. With, yeah. Put your finger over here. <laughs> Mouth and hand. But yeah, I can see how Manhunter... I can't say Manhunter on the first try. I can see how Manhunter can be a great character within a group, but I don't think he can fly solo. There you go. Okay, we'll take another small break. When we come back, Letters from the Front. Letters from the Front! In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire & Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire and Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents. Of course. Supervillain Team-Up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Letters from the front! Letters from the front! These are your comments on iTunes. Oh, from Lego Nightwing. Lego Nightwing! Lego Nightwing says... I started binge listening today. Forgot how much I love this story. These guys are great. Nice job, guys. Thank you very much. We're, we're the guys. I, Thank, believe, I this, believe we're the guys. This coming from Lego Nightwing, that goes a long way. <laughs> uh, now on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, which is where most people leave messages mm-hmm. uh, and should. There's a big conversation going on at, at all times. And uh, I'm not going to read every single line, but I will read from everyone who posted. 
Uh, first, there's a, an outstanding comment from uh, the Checkmate episode, which is like two okay. episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. Tim Price says, I need to listen to the previous Checkmate episode to see if an important point is mentioned, namely the exclamation point at the end of both Invasion and Checkmate. In hindsight, DC should have put exclamation points at the end of every tie-in issue's logo. But I guess that would have made it Checkmate two exclamation points. Sort of like, Flash! <laughs> yeah. Manhunter! I'm not sure that would work. I don't think it would work. But but it's it would have been funny maybe yeah. or, or fun for at least the first wave at least the first wave during during the actual during first invasion and now on to your comments about the the last episode which was about the uh well power of the atom and firestorm yeah the aftermath issues mark baker wright says uh, having had this issue of firestorm for years i've had every issue of the series for over 20 years now i don't think i've ever quite picked up on the end of the issue being the moment that the gene bomb went off. I read Firestorm dealing with its effects. I'll stay spoiler-free from that point for now. Thank you. But assume that all happened somewhere else. Invasion number three, I now assume. I now need to go back to the issue and see if the last panel is as explicit as the full-page version from Power of the Atom shared here, which would mean I simply haven't paying enough attention. Yeah, no, it's a very small panel. It's a, it is. But it is polarized. It's a, it is that black and white It's black effect. and white, yeah. Yeah. Ted Kelvington says, I bought and read the previous Firestorm issue, First Strike, when it came out almost 30 years ago. I picked up this issue, this issue, the Aftermath issue, years later in a discount bin and never read it. Now I don't have to read it. <laughs> Thanks for helping me dodge that bullet, as that cover has always been a turnoff. Well, you should probably read it anyway. Yeah. So it'll take 10 minutes. It's true. And I think the story was good. It's yeah. actually the, you know, there's real drama and I mean, yeah. just, we don't like the art much, but... I think the issue was actually yeah, yeah. better than the previous one. I think so. Chris Franklin uh, says, I could no prize Firestorm's lack of chess symbol as his ability to rearrange molecules. But instead, I'll just paraphrase Michael Bailey and say, because Grindberg. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to also tell us, Chris, where that Manhunter baton went? Yeah. We're waiting for that no prize. Uh, Ray's total buffness explains Gene Loring's bat crap behavior in Identity Crisis and after. She wanted him back after he got all jungle ripped. Well, can you blame her? The hot X yeah. syndrome. Mm. Yeah, I've been working on that for years. Never got hot. I never got hot. My friend Brent Dune from uh, New Zealand says, Who did the cover on Power of the Atom? So I, I answered him, Grand Nolan. He says, Thanks. He's good. Right in the tradition. Google shows me he did a stint in the Phantom Dailies. Yeah, as well as most of the uh, Hawkworld. Oh, wow. I, I think. Yeah. David is Gutierrez says, how about that? Bass's amazing scientific explanation of how the Adam's white dwarf usage stopped aging. You guys never cease to amaze. Well, you know. I don't know if that's sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Kelly, our good friend Rob Kelly, says, I generally like Tom Grinberg's work. It's like an out-of-control Neil Adams. But I have to say, I think this is the worst Firestorm art job I've ever seen in the history of the character. Shag? He asks. Shag comes in later. We'll find out. Okay. Ange uh, says, I have little knowledge of either of these characters' stories in this time period. So it was great to hear all this stuff. The Blank Slate Firestorm is a blank slate for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was for me, too. I, I really didn't know him. And for some odd reason... I'm not big on him either, I must say. And for some odd reason, I, I don't really think it can work. Well, maybe it can, but the whole... I, know, I get the fire thing. But the whole uh, chemistry thing can only work with a, a very intelligent scientific mind, mm -hmm. I think. Unless you're an elemental, then magic. Magic. Tim Price says, great episode with Invasioners. Has anybody else read The Physics of Superheroes? 
written by physicist professor based on class he teaches. It has lots of humor and great science to explain and debunk superpowers. His opening chapter talks about rape. Paraphrasing. A teaspoon of white dwarf matter weighs tons. Ray Palmer lifts a huge rock of it in his origin issue with barely a grunt. How? Because physics professors are just that strong? Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> so real science from real yep. scientists. Uh, oh, that beefcake page. Are physics professors really that ripped? Yes. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And uh, finally, we've got the irredeemable Shag, our Firestorm expert, Firestorm fan. Yeah. The Blank Slate era only lasted about two years, he says, from issue 65 through 87. This is a low point for the Firestorm series. Not entirely, but in some parts. Yes, the art is the worst the series ever saw during this era. Tom Grinberg, yuck. Richard Howell, yuck. Much of Joe Brzezowski's during this era, yuck. But then there are some decently drawn issues during the two years also. Ross Andrew for an issue. And I personally like the J.J. Birch issues drawn by Brzezowski. Uh, regarding the story, the overall concept of the Blank Slate Firestorm was fantastic. A mysterious blank persona driving the hero with Ronnie and Mikhail, powerless except to watch and sometimes advise. The Soviet Union and United States angles were also really intriguing. You take those great concepts, then put them against the Zuggernaut. Ugh. It was a very up and down period. Some great issues, some terrible. Because of that, I haven't reread those issues in a long time, so I don't recall a specific instance where the Blank Slate persona did something absolutely unforgivable, leaving Ronnie and Mikhail to deal with it emotionally, as I propose. Mm -hmm. The Blank Slate Firestorm did kiss Firehawk without her consent, Oh, which, not surprisingly, didn't go well for him. So Siskoid's concept of Ronnie Mikhail dealing with the Blank Slate's unforgivable actions didn't really get explored. Now, the elemental version of Firestorm, the next incarnation, did almost wipe out mankind. Well, you know, elementals will think we suck. Yeah. Uh, that could have provided some serious emotional drama for years. However, we wouldn't really have any comics because everyone would have been super dead. Well, no. Multiverse. <laughs> Here are some Facebook likes and shares from Chris Franklin, Dale Russell, David Is Gutierrez, David Foster, Derek William Crabb, Grant Richter, Jared West, Jason Pope, Jimmy McGlinchey, Leslie Hall, Trigg III, Max Romero, Michael Bailey, Nicholas Prom, Rich Matsumoto, Rob Kelly, Robert Ward, Ruth Sutherland, Ryan Daly, Scott Rowland, Shag Matthews once again, Sean Strawbridge, and Zoom Yerkanori on Google+, The Hammer Strikes, and on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Ange, Bat, Bill Beer, Cash Flag, Chris, Christopher Warden, Chuck Rodriguez, Coughing Comics, Comic Reflections, Grant Richter Writes, Greg A., Ian Perez, Jeffrey Brown, Justice's First Dawn, Long Box Crusade, Mark Baker Wright, Relatively Geeky, Rolled Spine Podcast, Superman, Movie Minute, Tim Price, who offers to share his checkmate issues. Ooh. <laughs> Just wants to get rid of them. Uh, and <laughs> Treasury Comics. So thank you for sharing and retweeting and whatever. Yeah, thank you very much. Whatever platform you use because that's how people find the show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you like it, continue to share. And please leave comments either uh, on fireandwaterpodcast.com at the Fire and Water Podcast uh, Facebook page or on Twitter. The hashtag is FWPodcasts. Next time on First Strike the Invasion Podcast, The Aftermath. I just added that in. Justice League International number 23.